0: All right, a quick break to talk about our sponsor. So if you run a startup and you're trying to grow, you need a marketing and sales tool that will scale up with you. Check out the HubSpot for Startups program. You can save 30 to 90% on the CRM, which is gonna help you increase your leads, boost your revenue, and just keep your whole team organized as you're trying to grow. HubSpot for Startups is trusted by thousands of startups all around the world. And you should go check out if you're eligible to join the HubSpot for Startups program and take your growth to the next level. Visit HubSpot.com startups. What's up, good people? Sean here. I just recorded an episode with Ishan, who is my producer, editor, right hand man, who helps me out with all my different projects. And uh, we talked about coronavirus and we went through this email that I sent out to uh, every Sunday night. I send an email out to the rest of the executive team and it's called 123. And normally this is private, but for this podcast, I made it public. I talked about what was in the email. It's all about coronavirus. I got to warn you, it's a little doom and gloom. It's not the most optimistic podcast, but I think it is interesting and I think you'll like it. And then around the 40 minute mark, I announced something new. So if you are uh, checking this out, make sure you check out what we announce at the end. I think it's kind of cool. Came up kind of organically, but I like it. We're going to do it and uh, check that out. Okay, Hope you enjoy this episode. We're all quarantined and we're going crazy, so yeah. we wanted to, to just do a conversation. How are you doing, man? Uh,
1: could be doing better, uh, but we're surviving <laughs> day by day, so uh, I'm halfway across the world in Australia, and this is, you know, this is, it's getting pretty bad here as well, so we're just yeah. uh, hoping for the best. And
0: every part of the world is different right now, right? You've got China, which is sort of like over it, so there's no new cases, or at least that's what they're reporting. And yeah. uh, you have some countries that have the situation on lock, you have Italy and Spain, which are sort of you know devolving very quickly yeah the us which is growing and you know by the end of the week will probably be bigger than china what's going on in australia
1: australia so far uh, a few of the states are going into the stage one of lockdowns, so all non-essential businesses are sort of closing down supermarkets hospitals are still up um so you know it's society as generally in Australia is hasn't been responding to it very well. Um, people are still going out. Uh, A lot of the bars and restaurants, like just uh, last weekend before the lockdown was completely packed. People are showing up to Bondi beach swimming and, you know, even after the government has urged them to not go there. Um, so, you know, it's, they've been treating it a bit like a meme, but, uh, things I think should get better and people should start listening. Hopefully. Um, but yeah, yeah hopefully it's, right. it's just, I think we're seeing this in waves. where like, you know, like, like you said earlier today in the U S two weeks later, we're going to be where you guys are. Um, you know, yeah. because you know, there's a lot of inaction happening and, uh, yeah, things are just going to follow suit.
0: Yeah. Unfortunately, this is one of those things where you need to take action before it becomes a big problem because once it's a big problem, it's too hard to contain and, um, you know, the, tr- the tragedy of this is there's a, a certain type of problem. This is this is like a, a problem like in your company you'll have with security or fraud prevention where you do a whole bunch of work up front and you hope that, like, nothing happening is a good sign. Like I used to joke with my head of security, if, um, you know, if we're not talking, things are good. You're doing your job. Right. Uh, when I come and we have to talk, that's because... There's a problem, and by then it's usually too late. The damage is done. Yeah. And unfortunately, with something like this, where you have believers and non-believers, the problem is, you—it's a lose-lose. So let's say you don't take action. You don't take action, and now the problem strikes, and a bunch of people get sick, a bunch of people die, and you know bad things happen. Let's say you. Let's say everybody took precaution. We locked the whole country down. We we stopped you know travel, business, all this stuff. And if you succeed in doing that. The virus won't really proliferate. It will look harmless, and then what people would say is actually not good thing. We did that. They'll say it was an overreaction, and so yeah. it's like a lose lose in terms of perception. Because if you take massive precaution, the winning scenario makes it look like it wasn't going to be a big problem, right. and um, it's a it's a dangerous thing. There should be a word for these types of. Uh, Situations where that's the case, you know, like they they have that word anti-fragile. Anti-fragile describes when, if you haven't read Nassim Taleb's book, yeah. anti-fragile is when a system breaks and the break makes the system stronger for the next one. So it's like plane crashes. Yeah. Every time a plane crash happens, planes get safer overall. The next crash is less likely. That's an anti-fragile system. And uh, so there should be some word for this too, where it's like that when you when you do that when you take precaution and you reduce risk. And then the thing doesn't happen, <laughs> and you, yeah. you know, that's uh you, you don't want people's reaction to it to be oh we all overreacted it was no big deal right it would have been a big deal
1: you just can't see it right and so um you send you send out like this email uh every Sunday it's called the one two three and right yeah. it's not it's not public people can't subscribe to it right it's, it's
0: yeah true. I've talked about it before but it's not public um I send this to I used to send it to a private group of my mentors, advisors, friends, when we were doing our startup. And then once we got acquired, I decided, hey, this would be a good way to connect with the rest of the exec team at Twitch because everybody's so busy. We don't all get to spend much time together. So I said, maybe I'll use my 123 email, which is just me brain dumping a bunch of thoughts on Sunday night. I'll send it to the exec team here, and it's sort of like a private newsletter, private blog. And right. um You know, my thinking behind it was was kind of a growth hack. I wanted to blog because I enjoy writing. I enjoy putting my thoughts out there. But I was like, man, it's so hard to break out. Everyone's got a blog nowadays. So this was many years ago, five years ago, when I was like, well, if I just had 100 people who I think are badass read this, that would be a win, right? I don't need a million unique visitors. I need 100 of the people I like and respect the most in Silicon Valley to read this. That would be a win. So how do I guarantee that they read this? Well, let me make it something exclusive. So you're handpicked to get on a list. You're only getting this and it's private, which means I can share, you know, things that I wouldn't always put out in the public. And so that's how this all started. And normally it's private, but given coronavirus, uh, this week's was all about coronavirus and I wanted to make it public. So I was like, um, let's talk through what I put in that email and, uh, share it with more people. So hopefully this is interesting to people. Right.
1: And so I, I thought this email was really interesting when I read it, um, uh, let's just start, like, from the beginning. Uh, how bad do you think this is? Because in your own words, you said that this is really, really bad. You didn't say one really; you said two release. So double, uh, double <laughs> really. And so um, on a spectrum from, you know, this is nothing to this is a complete catastrophe, we're going to go into a depression, where are you sitting and why?
0: Yeah, so I should actually preface this. This is more of a doom and gloom podcast because that's kind of <laughs> my outlook right now. Right. So um, if you're looking for something super optimistic, this is probably not it, this is me being realistic from what I'm seeing. Right. And I'm definitely no expert in infectious diseases, I'm no expert in um, the economy, but I have a lot of smart friends, I ask a lot of really dumb questions to them so I can learn and I read a lot. And so that's how I form you know my opinion on this. And my opinion is that this is really, really bad. And I'll tell you why. So. What's happening right now is that we have a health crisis, you know, a pandemic, which there's not, that's not often. So we have a health crisis and that triggered, it started in China. So it triggered a supply crisis because the supply chain broke down, the global supply chain, which depends on China, all broke down. And then, you know, as it's come to the U.S., it's created a labor crisis where all these businesses like, you know, all of American sports are shut down, hotels, casinos, movie theaters, schools. Um, all the gyms, all these businesses are shutting down and they're not going to be able to go with zero revenue for long. They're going to lay off employees. So now you're going to have a labor crisis where people are predicting 20, 30 percent unemployment, which is insane. Right. And then that create the labor crisis creates a demand crisis. So we have a huge supply shock and we have the demand crisis and we have the labor crisis and we have the health crisis. And so uh, what I wrote in the email was that I stole this line from my friend Vishal it feels like an alien kid, you know, was got tired of playing the video game Earth, and he was on level twenty twenty, and he's like, "Ah, this is boring," and he just started mashing buttons just to spice things up, and that's what twenty twenty has felt like for me so far.
1: Right, yeah, that's a really good analogy. Um, so you are saying, in terms of okay, that's this, this is a health crisis that started, and that triggered all these other sort of. Uh, would you say like a black swan event? I don't know if that's the right word for it, but um, yeah, exactly. so it is. We, we haven't really, this is like really unprecedented and. It's unprecedented.
0: We've never seen this um, or most people in their lifetime have never seen this. And even those who kind of have seen things like this, it's very different because we've had financial crises, right? We've mm-hmm. had bubbles. We've had, um, you know, the SARS outbreak, but we've never had these things stacked together, and for that reason, it is very much a black swan event. Who could have predicted? My, my brother-in-law owns, I don't know, t- 20 to 40 gyms here in California. Who could have predicted? My sister runs three schools. Um, mm. Who could have predicted that revenue would just go to essentially zero for months? Like no business really plans for that. And it's, you know, even when you're making your sort of expansion plans, you're thinking about growth. You're thinking about how well things are going. You're thinking about expansion. And, uh, rarely do you sit down and say, well, should I prepare for, you know, the white walkers to cross the wall and everything to shut down? Like, but that's actually what happened.
1: Yeah. I think it's, um, uh, it's, you know, previously, uh, whenever something like the economy goes down or something crazy happens, um. A lot of the the stimulus packages they're to actually try and get people to work right but this is completely different where we're trying to get people not to work we're trying to subsidize their living um right we're talking about today like what is it two and a half million people are filing for unemployment this week um this is way bigger than 08 and you know the ones before it so um this is yeah this is unprecedented it's it's, uh it's a different kind of uh, like war it's not a different type of war we're tackling
0: No, no, war is the exact uh, analogy here. We're fighting an invisible enemy. And um, unlike war, where we usually, you know, send people out and we, you know, the whole country sort of galvanizes around it. Here it's like there's an invisible enemy hiding your homes. That's the answer. Right. And uh, it's very unprecedented. It's very un-American, really. Uh, Americans love when bravery and uh, valor is what is the solution. But here it's patience and it's staying inside. It's doing nothing, and um, that's very dangerous. So, so that's that's why I think uh, you know this is really really bad. So that's point one. Point two I had on here was about the health perspective, and I said from a health perspective we have three pathways forward. The first one is mass testing. So we need to quickly, cheaply, and frequently identify who is infected. Option two, from a health perspective, uh, you know, solution two is we find a miracle treatment. And option three is we just face a massive death toll. And, you know, we should be clearly focusing on mass testing. But unfortunately, it doesn't seem like we're on track to solve that anytime soon. Um, The types of tests we're ordering were short. The testing that we're doing is inadequate. You know, there's so many carriers out there that are being turned down from testing. Right. And, um... You know, within seven to ten days, the, the Chinese virus, as Trump loves to call it, will be the American virus because we're going to have way more cases than anybody else because we did not lock down and test temperatures um, and and sort of the infectiousness uh, in any in, in nowhere near what China did, nowhere near what Korea did. And um, unfortunately for us, that means this is going to be a problem for a very long time. So that was point
1: two. Right. And do you think it's the, the the main issue right now is that maybe uh a lot of people maybe generally skewing to like a younger demographic they're asymptomatic possibly to this and they're spread it's spreading faster than ever because of that is that where you see why we need sort of mass testing um because a lot yeah, of people this, this virus you know, is tricky yeah. this
0: virus is very tricky because the virus is um, it doesn't kill you right away it doesn't show itself right away and um And in in fact, if it if this could kill anybody, I think people would behave very differently. The media sort of uh, framed it, and rightfully so, because it's it's worse for the elderly. It's worse for people with underlying health conditions. But the interpretation of that seems to have been, if you just judge by the fact that hey, in LA, people are out on the beach, they're playing pickup basketball, you know, like people are not younger people are not taking this seriously, and they're spreading it. Yeah. And so. The interpretation of it was, okay, well, you know, it's not going to kill me. And um, unfortunately, we're only as good as our weakest links. So even if the majority of people are behaving, the sad thing is that as long as some people are out there spreading it, whatever that percentage of people is, 5%, 10%, 15%, um, this thing will continue to proliferate. And the longer they keep doing that, the longer we wait to get testing in place. Um, the longer this persists, and then the longer it persists, the more itchy people get in quarantine, and they start to break, and right. uh, they start to go out, and then it stays longer. So, I don't, um, I don't see a
1: good solution here from where we're at. And just really quickly, I want to go over this whole like mask situation. Um, uh, I'm guessing earlier on, like I don't know, Feb- January, February, a lot of health professionals were putting out messages saying uh, that you know you shouldn't wear a mask if you're not having any symptoms um, and I think that was maybe possibly so people wouldn't obviously be panicking and buying up all the masks because people that do have symptoms they should be prioritized and they should have, wear masks but also we're seeing a lot of data now that you know places like Japan or Singapore where wearing masks is very prevalent amongst a lot of the people and there it looks like their curve is flattened or uh, flattening better than the, uh, the other countries like US, Italy and whatnot. Um, do you think that uh, this is. do you think that everybody should be wearing masks? This is like not a thing that's like... Uh, because there's a lot of people that think they read one thing and they say, oh, okay, there's no point of wearing masks. There's no, no point right, of covering right. up.
0: You know, I, I think there might be truth to both sides. I think it might be true that it would not have been productive if everybody who didn't need a mask bought all the masks right. because we didn't have enough for everybody. Yeah. And so I think that part was true, that we should have saved it for people who needed it. Um, but I think it's also true that if you have a mask, you're going to be less likely to spread and less likely to receive it than anything else because there's a barrier in front of your mouth and nose. <laughs> like, yeah. know, it's pretty simple. So, yeah. um, so so I think that would have been helpful. But, you know, at this point, I'm not sure what's going to happen right now. It seems like, you know, it's the hospitals that need the masks. So you have, you know, the healthcare workers who they're constantly at risk that need them that need masks and are running out and yeah i think that's the scary part now
1: i saw bezos uh he did like that announcement and he was saying that they ordered you know a lot of masks for the amazon workers but they can't get them yet because the, those masks are being prioritized for the hospitals and whatnot So right.
0: and facebook i believe donated seven hundred thousand masks that they had bought during the um, wildfire crisis which was oh, okay. you know, yeah. a tiny tiny speck in comparison to this yeah. but they bought 720,000 masks for Facebook and um, they're donating all of them and so yeah you know people are trying to step up and that's kind of great to see yeah. and um, we'll see we'll see how the mask thing plays out i don't have a super strong opinion
1: there right and so so we've gone through you know how bad we think it is and what we can sort of go what we could do and what you see going forward that should happen um what about what are you thinking in terms of the economy? Um, what are sort of the short-term but also long-lasting effects of of what's happening right now? Yeah,
0: so I think the economy is going to crash badly, and not a recession, but a depression. Right. And I think that on top of that, people will blame the virus, but the virus is the trigger; it's not the cause. And um, you know, I, I could be wrong about this for sure. Uh, this is not something that is easy to understand. Like the economy is such a interconnected set of uh, pieces and, um, people who are experts in one area might miss another, right? It took, um, a lot, no, very few people saw the 2008 crash happening, uh, beforehand, even those who did were not taken seriously. And only sort of later when we do a postmortem, we realize okay, it was these subprime mortgages that were being securitized and packaged up and then rated improperly. And that's where, um, you know, the, the sort of vulnerability was building up. So in my view here, um, People are going to blame the virus and say, the virus is what shut down the economy. The virus is why we have high unemployment, unemployment, the virus is why the economy is going to take years to recover. And um, in my view, the virus is the needle that pops the debt bubble. Right. And so in the same way that the coronavirus is fatal to people who have an underlying respiratory problem, I believe that the virus is fatal to the economy because we have an underlying debt problem. That right. is the under- underlying illness that the economy had That the virus is um going to expose um shortly
1: right and and so like uh you know a a huge talk right now there's a lot of people talking about you know bailouts and a lot of these uh not just airline there's a bunch of other companies but a lot of these companies that spent most of their profits on these share buybacks um and now they're asking for bailouts uh i know you explained this a bit uh on our last podcast but um i want you to sort of can you just give another quick sort of like explanation and what you what are you seeing right now and what are your thoughts on on uh what's happening right now in regards to corporate debt? yeah I,
0: you know my reaction initially uh when i had heard bailouts because bailout sounds like uh that word is just very loaded yeah it sounds like you know somebody's getting a free get out of jail free card and um that's how i felt in 2008 and then as i started to understand more. Um, and I, I think I've recommended this video before, but I literally rewatched it last night. Um, and that's going to sound silly because it's such a s- simple video. But the reality is, um, you really want to understand the fundamentals of anything. It's not it, it, like usually the problem is in the fundamentals. It's not in um, you, know, a, you know sort of a PhD level of complexity around something. Yeah. And so there's this video by Ray Dalio, and it's called "How the Economic Machine Works." It's on YouTube. It's a thirty-minute video. Most people are not going to watch it. This should be required watching for every politician and every CEO and every college graduate should, be, you know, before you get your diploma, go sit in this room and watch this video. Yeah. And um, what he explains in it is why these cycles happen. So why do we even have cycles? Why do we have these ups and downs? And, and so he explains, you know, um, and I can't, you know, sort of do it justice and explain the whole thing. But what I would say is the key to the economy is um, spending. And so one person's, um, you know, one person's spending is another person's income. And most spending actually is not through cash that you have, you know, sitting in your bank or under your mattress, but through credit. Uh, Businesses spend through credit. People spend through credit. Governments spend through credit. And um, so a lot of what's spent is credit. That credit becomes income of the next person. When you get income, you become credit worthy and people will give you more credit, and then you spend it somewhere else, and that's how the economy expands. And so we go through these expansionary periods where people take loans, they spend, they buy houses, they buy cars, they buy, they invest in businesses, they buy stocks, whatever they whatever they buy, and um, some of it's with cash and some of it's credit. And then, as when they're spending, that's somebody else's income. That person who who gets income becomes credit worthy, and so then they can take credit you know take loans get credit and do their own level of that and that's the expansion cycle and then that that naturally overreaches so it seems like you know this party just don't stop this is working we're all getting rich together we're all this is all growing the banks keep lending. blah 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 and so um but you don't want too much debt out there and so you know the government uses interest rates to sort of regulate that they'll raise interest rates which will reduce borrowing for a given time and, and lower the amount of credit and debt that's in the system and, um, and so they have this instrument that they use to do that. So the, the video really explains how during expansion times we use credit to expand quickly uh, in the same way that if your company needs to grow, you'll take a round of venture capital or you'll take an investment round or you'll take a loan or you'll take venture debt. Um, you know, those are the ways that you fund expansion that's going to happen in the future. And when it all works, fantastic. You expand, you make revenue, and now you're more credit worthy. You can raise bigger money, you can take bigger loans, that sort of thing. And um, unfortunately, human nature is that we get ahead of our skis. And so what's ended up happening here is we have a 12 year bull run of the stock market, one of the longest bull runs ever. And um, and so we had this huge amount of expansion and it was stimulated after 2008, you know, interest rates dropped, this economic stimulus package happened, quantitative easing, so we injected you know, performance-enhancing drugs into the economy, and it gave us a period of expansion that lasted from essentially 2000, you know, nine ten till, um, till 2020, right? So you get this sort of decade-long expansionary period. And then you're going to have uh, you know, the, the sort of deflationary period where that comes to, to, to root. And so that's like a normal recession. But what he, sa- what he shows in the video is how these, that short-term debt cycle layers on to a long-term debt cycle, which is happening over a 75 to 100-year time span. And what it sure does seem like is that we're now facing not just a recession, we're facing a depression. A, a recession is what's happening when the short-term debt cycle is being reversed, and a depression is when the long-term debt cycle is is on the sort of the downside. And, uh, you know, watch the video. It, it paints a picture with animations. It's really great, video, just well-made in general. But... Um, For you know, when you watch that, it's hard to watch that and not walk away uh, looking at the world a little bit differently. And so, my view is that after you know these periods of expansions and and contractions, um, we're now on the sort of wrong side of the long term debt cycle, and we're going to go through a multi year deleveraging or depression, if if for a better word. Um, And I think that's what's going to happen to the economy. Literally, I sold all my stocks, I moved every position to cash. everything i could to cash and um with a little bit of a crypto hedge and you know if i could sell my house i would have sold my house unfortunately you can't sell your house now there's like no liquidity so um i I took as much as i could out but the reality is that um we're all going to be exposed and i think everybody's going to end up less wealthy over the next few years because of this
1: right and so you say, uh, so you got out of everything, you cashed out, you want to, you're transitioning to a cash-heavy heavy position, um, what would you say, without being financial advice, what should people do in terms of, okay, now they're cashed out, do they just like sit, do they do they wait nine months and then try and get bargains and try and get rich in a recession or a depression, or like do you, do you just wait for years and years and just watch on the sidelines, what, what do you think is the right course of action to take advantage of, of this?
0: Yeah, you know, if I knew, I would have made my first million a long time ago. Um, and so I, I don't think anybody really knows. But, um, you know, I'll give you my point of view. And, you know, you said that this is not financial advice. Why do people say that? Is that are they they think they're going to get sued. Yeah, or, I think that's if, why. If you try to sue a podcaster um, for financial advice, like you, you know, immediate reverse sue to, to yourself. So, um, so I don't know. Um, my prediction would be that, you're going to have these sort of ebbs and flows, and I think we're seeing that right now, where the economy is swinging. It's, it's swinging like crazy, and uh, it's swinging because people are covering their positions, and so you get what they call the dead cat bounce. Um, and so I think we're going to have that, you know, uh, a few times here, where it's going to the market's going to plunge, and then it's going to bounce back, and there's a little bit of a rally, and then it's going to plunge again. And um, the short-term things, I try not to really pay too much attention to, or try to time it because that's a Trying to time the market or predict the market, I believe, is a bit of a a bit of a losing game. Yeah, um, I'd rather just sort of think about the fundamentals and think about where I think this is going over a bit of a longer term, and not try to predict a day to day, week to week change. Um, if you can do that, fantastic. I don't believe you if you if you can. Um, and so, anyhow, I, my plan—I'll just my own plan—is essentially try to uh, wait for what feels like the bottom. And, it, it, you know, just ignore the first two times I think it's the bottom because it's probably not. Yeah. Um, and just assu- I am assuming that this is a multi-year, multi-year um, uh, downturn. And so multi-year might be, you know, as as low as, you know, two and as long as 10. And um, and so I think you can pick up some um, stocks on discount, you know, along the way. But. It's a risky game, Um, and I, I don't think there is a good answer for that, and I don't pretend that I have it for myself either.
1: So if we just sort of go away from capital markets or like stock markets and we sort of transition to... Uh, what a lot of our listeners are, the people that are trying to start businesses. And if we head into a recession yeah. or depression, is this not the worst time or could be the best time to start something? What What would you say? Like, what are the sort of like checklists of like, okay, you need this much money set aside. You need to, you know, if people get let go of right. their jobs, like what, is, what do you say to people that were thinking of, of starting something, but now, you know, are probably discouraged because of what's about to come?
0: Yeah, it's tricky, right? I texted several friends, um, so so I advised a, a couple of startups, and I, what I told the startups that I was advising, I said, you need to lower your burn rate immediately, yeah. and they had already started that, and I said, no, even lower. Um, so I was talking, about, you know, one of the companies I invested in, they're burning seventy k a month, right. and they had seven months of runway left. So they were planning, hey, you know, things are going well, we're making progress, in the next two to three months we'll raise a round. They're in one of the like kind of accelerator program so they were like hey there's a demo day at the demo day we're going to raise money and um so that's you know 70k a month and they were saying you know we're trying to get that down to like 45k 40k and um right and i you know i was on board with that and then the next morning i woke up and i just texted him and i said find a way to get it under 25 like get it to 20 that'll get you 18 months of runway out of your same amount of cash right and um i think you're going to need it and you don't want to be in a position where this dies because you spent too early. I said, it's not about growing aggressively right now. It's about survival. Yeah. And you got to know when to switch gears as a company. And so I think, you know, it's very sexy and fun to be in the growth mindset where everything is about grow, grow, grow. But, um, there are times when you need to play a different game and you need to, um, you need to bunker down, you need to survive and you need to weather the storm. And I think that's, what's what, that's my advice to the companies that I'm investing or advising. I also have friends who were out there raising money. They were, you know, they had done their seed, their angel round, and they were out there fundraising. And I texted some of them. I said, "How's it going?" And he goes, "Well, I've had three investors cancel on me this week. Right. <laughs> like, don't even take the meeting." Yeah. Uh, you know, but uh, you know, the the good VCs won't do that. The good VCs will continue to operate. Um, they will naturally get more selective. the The valuations will come down. So, for example, I'm talking to a YC company. And, um, you know, they're raising their seed round, and it's like, hey, we're raising $2 million on a $15 million valuation. And it's like, geez, $15 million? And that's the – and I said – I asked him, I said, how would you get to – why 15 And Because he's doing, you know, um, basically like a million dollars a year uh, run rate. Right. And so it's growing it's growing fast, so you can see how that's going to grow. But currently, you know, a um, million dollar a year run rate. And he said, well, the way a YC valuation works is pretty much – um, if you've got nothing, you're a ten million dollar company. If you um, if you have something, yeah. you're a twelve million dollar valuation company. And if you're profitable, like I am, you're a fifteen million dollar company. Right? right. It basically, was like you know just sort of he was joking, but he was he was basically saying, well, it's YC. We get this premium, blah blah blah. I'm very curious to see if the YC premium holds up, um, given what's going on, because I think there's going to be a tightening everywhere. Right. And um, if you haven't listened to it. Um there's a podcast, a new podcast that I really really love. Um so Jason Calacanis has been doing podcasting for ages, right? You listen to it, yeah. I listen to it. He's done thousands of episodes. And that's his his podcast called This Week in Startups. But um he has a new podcast with Chamath called The All-In Podcast. And I think it's still under his channel, but they're just doing the All-In episodes like as separate like yeah. episodes. Yeah. And it's, uh, they've done one episode so far, but it was incredible. It's like, you know, if you can get Chamath, who's a super smart guy, um, don't agree with everything he does or anything, but, he, you know, yeah. he's smarter than your average bear and definitely smarter than your average podcaster. Um, so if you get his thoughts for free, that's like that's a, that's a conversation you want to be a fly on the wall for. And uh, Jason's a very good sort of interviewer, potster, conversationalist, and that's great. And so they did one about coronavirus already. Uh, definitely recommend you go listen to that and uh, tweet at Jason and tell him I sent you. Um, It's a great podcast, so I definitely recommend listening. In addition to that, one of the things they mentioned on there is, well, how does this affect a startup? Their recommendations were businesses should have three years of runway in the bank, which I think is hard, very, very hard to have. But let's say more. what that really signals is you need more than you think not. not, Don't think a year is good enough. Don't think 18 months is good enough. Try to get more. If you have any option right now to take money, either a a loan you haven't really fully drawn down or investment, even if it's not the best terms or not the best investor, take it, take the money. And um, so that was the recommendation there. The second recommendation they had was, or the second story they told was sort of, how does this work? And so the way it works, you have to understand how a a venture capital firm is structured. So you have the VCs and they'll they'll say they raised a billion dollars. But what's actually happening? You don't get a billion dollars in your bank account and start writing checks to, to, to startups. You have commitments of a billion dollars, let's say, or commitments of a hundred million dollars from your LPs, your limited partners. And Your limited partners are pension funds, um, you know, family offices, you know, the institutional capital, pretty much, not individuals. And those institutions, they are basically going to allocate, you know, some small percentage of their equities, right? They're going to hold bonds, they're going to hold, you know, stocks, public stocks, they're going to hold private late stage stuff, and then they're going to hold some of this sort of technology or venture venture bets. And they'll maybe allocate 5% of their portfolio to that. And what's happen- what's going to happen is, as the stock market crashes and the bond yields go down, Now, that amount of money they committed, 50 million bucks, 20 million bucks, 5 million bucks to a venture capitalist, now makes up not 5% of their portfolio, but like 15%, 20%, whatever it is. And they can't have that happen. That's too much. That's the wrong asset allocation. So what ends up happening, what happened in 2008, according to Chamath and Jason, was very interesting. What they said was the VCs didn't stop investing, but they definitely slowed down. Because what happens is when the VC commits to a startup, they do a capital call. They say, "Hey, LPs, we found a startup. We need you know that money you committed. We need 10 million of it in the bank right now." And so what happens when a, when the stock market starts plunging and there's an economic freeze, is they sort of go to their LPs, or the LPs come to them and say, "Hey, it'd be nice not to have a capital call for a little bit." It's like you know, yeah, we're committed, we're with you, but like, let's not call in my capital for for the next 12 months or whatever it is. Right. And so the whole rate of investing slows down because the VCs don't want to piss off their LPs. Um, the VCs still make their you know, their management fees, so they're fine. They they don't need to invest this money to eat. Yeah. And so um, that's what ends up happening. That's what slows down all of the startup investing. So it's a long way of saying all the shit's interconnected. If you have options to take money, take it right now. And if you don't, it's going to be very tough sledding. So if you're going to start a business right now and many great businesses have started during recessions i would say starting it literally at this moment is going to be tough because there's a lot of uncertainty once the crash happens it's going to wipe out a lot of companies there's going to be a lot of talent that's available for cheaper than it was before there's gonna be fewer startups in general so it is gonna be less competition prices are going to go down across the board um and so you can start a company then but you have to be prepared to be scrappy the the fat and happy period is over and now it's back to scrappy you know cockroach mode right
1: and do you see, uh, in especially probably in Silicon Valley, do you see a lot of secondary selling happening during these periods, within founders, investors, maybe employees? I don't know. Uh, is that something that happens usually?
0: You know, it, it all freezes up. There's not a whole lot. Like it's just like I was saying about my house. Yeah. You know? Sure, I'd be happy to sell now. No one wants but to buy. No buyers. Yeah. yeah the, buy, the buying slows down, and so when the buying slows down, the you know there's just there's no liquidity in the market so it
1: freezes right
0: and you know this is happening at an economy level and the government's going to pump in trillions of dollars of cash to try to bring liquidity back into the market as they have to do to unlock the economy but there's no such thing in the startup ecosystem no one can print cash and give it to us (laughs) so um, that's a tricky situation
1: right and so uh so for the people listening that uh was thinking about starting something or in the process of starting something, you say, and a bunch of other people have recommended, 18 to 36 months of runway um, and preferably don't... If you don't already have
0: that, if you're thinking of starting something, it's probably too late to get that. Too late, It's if you already have... If you already have a company running, you need to reduce your burn rate so that you can get to having 18 to 36 months. You're probably not going to get more cash, but you can slow down your burn.
1: Right. And if you haven't started anything yet and thinking about starting, you're saying to wait out this period possibly and wait till sort of the market the the economy everything sort of consolidates and then start uh maybe take advantage of the resources that are like left alive and that's probably pennies on the dollar
0: yeah well what i would say is like if you're an entrepreneur and you're going to start something you're not going to listen to me on a fucking podcast right you're going to do whatever you're going to do that's entrepreneurs are stubborn and that's why we fail often too but Um, So so I I don't pretend that they're going to listen to this. But what my advice would be, um, you know, think long and hard about what you're starting. And if you're giving up something that's very, very secure, you know, you know, before, if you were in a good job, you're you're an engineer at Google, you can quit your engineering job at Google, go try something. If it doesn't work six months later, you can go get rehired by Google or Facebook or Amazon or Netflix or whoever, and probably at a higher rate. So the risk was low. The risk is now going to get a little bit higher depending on where you're at. Your level of safety and security is, like, safety and security are going to be a premium now. Right. um, Whereas before, it was all about growth. So I would just say, you know, think about it. And the second thing is, if you are going to start something, just be prepared to be in cockroach mode. You're going to get less capital, and um, you're going to have to be more scrappy than, uh, and in the end, that might be a really great thing, right? These are the forcing functions that bring out the relentless, resourceful entrepreneurs who are going to chase opportunities that, you know, um, you had to run through walls for anyways. And so um, so I don't think it's going to deter anybody. I think some great companies are going to get started here, but you need to have the mindset of it's, you know, it's cockroach time.
1: Right. And I sort of want to reiterate something you uh, slightly touched on before. So what you're saying now is uh, sort of uh, sort of the, the startup scene, Silicon Valley and the rest of the world, they go through this sort of like this pendulum swing of founders and investors and uh, during periods like this, the leverage sort of now goes towards the like the, the investors, the founders sort of lose leverage in, in uh, raising money. And then in bull markets, obviously, the founders probably have a lot of that leverage. Yeah. Um, and so you're saying yeah, over the next probably, who knows how long over this last, 7, 10 years, or in the short term, definitely. Um, you know, founders, you're saying that founders, it's probably going to be very hard to, to raise money on your terms. You're probably going to have to negotiate and sort of settle for what uh, the investors... Uh, so to say.
0: Totally. Um, My friend Vishal, who I've stolen now two lines for for this podcast, he has another great one, which is venture capital is one of the few asset classes where the investment manager picks the security, right? An investor picks which company to invest in. But the security also selects the investor. Right. And um, what that creates is this really interesting dynamic where during times where um, it's a bull market, and there's comp- the good companies will have so much leverage, right, because they can pick, you know, money is a, ca- a commodity. They can pick this investor or that investor or that investor. They're all the same. Um, or even if they're not all the same, there's several tier ones. There's several tier twos, and so you have lots of leverage. You can sort of get the price you want, the terms you want, and this is why you see funds that are like, you know, no board seats, no liquidation preferences, blah, blah, blah. You, know, you get all these different terms. Here's, you know, take a million bucks off the table um, when you, when you take this round, so you feel secure or whatever, right? You can get lots of terms that you want. And when the market turns that, that changes, your leverage goes down. And, um, so it's, I don't think investors are going to be in a great position either, but I do think that, um, the pendulum is swinging and yeah. for founders, things are going to be less friendly all around. People are going to be less interested in investing in you when they do, they're going to be on less good terms and you should be
1: prepared for that. Right. So uh, I think we've been really dark and gloomy for the for this yes. this entire episode. Um, is there anything, anything on the bright side that you want to say that there's something to look forward to and to probably possibly give a bit of hope to people listening?
0: <laughs> yeah, you know, I think that there are some great things in every situation, right? Like, I don't think there are actually good or bad situations. I started this by saying this is really, really bad. In reality, it's not really, really anything. It's what you make of it. And so... Mm um what we're seeing is actually a lot of people make interesting things of this situation so you know um like last night they did the the sort of um i think solidarity i don't know if you if they're doing that in australia but right. um they're doing it in different countries where in india i saw it in italy i saw it where people go out on their balconies the people who are quarantined and at 7 p.m or 8 p.m they go out on their balconies and they cheer for the healthcare workers i think it started somewhere where the workers were leaving the hospital and people were going out on their balcony cheering for them. And so the whole city is out on their balcony, just cheering for the healthcare workers, for the doctors and nurses. And I thought that was pretty amazing. That's Uh, great. And so we, we did it last night. (laughs) We were the only ones we're just cheering to an empty street. There's no doctors or nurses walking out, Uh, but there's still something cool of just like shouting it out to the universe. Um, So I really love that. Some people are getting creative. There's, um, you know, uh, there's this thing called Love is Quarantine. Have you seen this?
1: Yeah. I, I, I looked at it last night when he sent the, in the link in the email.
0: And so I don't, did you watch the show Love is Blind on Netflix?
1: Yeah, I've, I've just finished it actually last night. Yeah. Interesting show. Oh, congratulations. <laughs> good yeah, show. Good show.
0: Um, so so some people recreated the Love is Blind show just using a Google Doc. So they basically said, hey, we're going to do something called Love is Quarantine. Right. And they made, opened up 40 slots and they said, they started matching people into rooms and you have like a voice conversation. You can't see each other. And um, you're never going to meet or whatever. You haven't met. And uh, if you if you like them, you talk to them again the next day. Or if you don't, you pass and you go talk to the next person. And uh, they're like running this whole thing off a of spreadsheet and Instagram. And that's cool. kind of amazing. So, <laughs> you know, people are getting really um, really crafty, uh, really creative. People are, you know, coming together in certain ways. People yeah. are really appreciating what they have because it's all taken away. Um, like appreciation for the you know the delivery people the workers at the grocery store and at the hospitals um, i mean you, you can't look at these people the same way again because they sort of you know they're saving your life yeah um, they're providing for you when you when you need it the most and so i think there's some really good things for myself you know I've been able to spend more time with my family uh, my daughter was born you know and when she was born um uh, when she was born i took off two weeks from work and then i kind of you know She's, like, just a baby that lays there and it was like, as interactive as a stapler. And so I was like, okay, I'm going to go back to work now, and I just busied myself with that. And now with the shutdown, I'm spending time with her for the first time and, like, really quality time extended. And now she has much more of a personality six months later. And so, uh, you know, that's been great. So I think a lot of people are going to reassess what's important to them. People are going to, you know, take time to reflect because they're just stuck in isolation. Yeah. And they're going to be grateful for what they have. That's my hope as to what's get, the good that's going to come out of this. And honestly, that is quite a lot
1: of good. Yeah, I think we're in such a unique time in history where especially the last decade with social media and and technology evolving, where we you know every single second it was sort of our brain is filled with a lot of distractions. And this, for the first time, people just don't know what the hell to do. They're stuck inside. And it's it's probably, this is actually probably uh, sort of a net good that comes out of this, that people, I don't know, in a way, not sounding cheesy, they sort of uh, start thinking about who they want to be and what they want to do. And they have this really good, this is a really good time to reflect. um, And because we don't usually have time for that uh, these days.
0: Yeah, the, the only thing that could have been more powerful is if the internet went out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. If there was just no internet and there would be chaos and there would be <laughs> lots of problems and people would also be like, what do I do with my time now that I'm not staring at this phone? And, uh, you know, that's not happening. But uh, but yeah, so, so hopefully this wasn't too doom and gloom. Um, I wanted to share what I kind of wrote in the email. I hope I'm wrong. I hope I'm overreacting. Um I'm fine with that. I'm fine with preparing for the the worst and sort of seeing um, things through, hopefully a realistic lens, but skewing more towards not what I hope would happen, but what I think what I think is actually going to happen. And um, if I'm wrong, I'll be pleasantly surprised. That'd be great.
1: Right. And just one last thing before we sort of sign off, I wanted to ask you um, now that you know people. It's sort of hard to wake up in the morning, knowing you know every every time you sort of wake up, you're sort of paranoid or you're you're thinking about. It's sort of hard to just ignore what's going around you. And so um, there's some there's an interesting thing you were telling me earlier today, actually, when you're messaging me about sort of your morning routine. Um, yeah. I want to know. I want you to explain that to, to people listening. And there's like a cool little project that we're thinking about doing. Um, if sure. you want to go ahead and explain that.
0: Yeah. So um, I'm sure a lot of you who are in quarantine or lockdown or, you know, trying to adjust to a new way of life <laughs> in a way. And, um, and, you know, people are, are, are trying to figure out how to make this work for them. Right. It's, it's, you know, you can go crazy just sitting indoors. You can go crazy just reading the news and listening to what's going on and checking Twitter. And it just feels like the world is crashing. It's very stressful and unhealthy. And so um, one of the things that keeps me sane is my morning routine that I've had for, quite a long time. And I'm not perfect with it at all. You know, there'll be sometimes months can go by and I forget it. And then I come back to it always. Um, but when I'm good, I'm doing this every day. And, um, you know, I always wanted a morning routine, but it's in the same way. Like, yeah, I also want to wake, you know, I wanted to wake up at 5am and go to the gym every day and I did it for like three days, but then, you know, I stopped going to the gym because it's like such a tall task. Right. And so the one thing that worked for me was I was at a Tony Robbins event, and he advises this thing that he's been doing for a long time. And he says, you know, I do this hour of power in the morning. I take an hour for myself, and I really get myself primed for the day. And he makes it makes it sound like a lot of sense, right? He's like, you know, if you were an athlete, before you go onto the court or onto the field, you really get yourself in the right mindset. You get your body ready. You get your, your mind ready, and you, you, you have a certain routine that you do that gets you ready to perform. And uh, isn't it strange that we don't do that in the sport of life, right? Isn't it strange that we don't try to get our mind and body ready for the day, for our for whatever our you know sport is? And um, that resonated with me. I, I, as somebody who played sports, that was something I felt. Yeah, that is weird that I. It would be unthinkable to just you know roll out of bed and, and go try to play in a game. Um, I would never have done that. But I'll do that with my work. I'll do that with my family. I'll do that, you know, on a normal day. I would wake up, I'd hit the snooze button, I'd wake up again, I'd be groggy, I'd be late, and then I'd, you know, hop in the shower and I'd get dressed, and I'm half, you know, looking at my phone, I'm figuring out what I forgot at home, and I finally, you know, commute to work and I get there, and I'm in a low energy state, and I'm not really operating with any intention. I'm just on autopilot. And so I got sick of being on autopilot. So I, I adopted this routine because. Tony had this one thing. He said, you know, I do this for an hour, but if you can't do an hour, do 30 minutes. If you can't do 30 minutes, do 15. If you can't do 15, do 10. If you can't do 10, you don't have a life. Right. And he just let it sink in. He goes, if you don't have 10 minutes, you don't have a life. So there's this thing that I do that's called the nine-minute morning routine. I've been doing it for several years now, and um, I think it can help a lot of people. And so we're going to – I'm thinking about this. I I think I'm going to do this. You know, um, I'm excited about it. So I'm going to make a podcast that's just the nine-minute morning routine And I'm going to record it. And if anybody out there wants to, uh, you know, try this in the morning, and I think it'll help you. I think it'll help you have a clear mind uh, as you approach your day. And I can explain kind of how it works. But that's the idea. Uh, I have this morning routine. It's worked for me. It's helped me a lot. I'm just going to record it. And then if it works, if it helps you, um, you can listen to it while you do it in the morning. It takes nine minutes, and if you don't have nine minutes, you don't have a life. And so if you want to, you want to use this in the mornings, great. If this helps more people, like it helped me, fantastic.
1: Yeah, I think uh, anyone's listening, if that sounds sort of interesting, you should definitely tweet Sean and let him know that you want that. And yeah, we should we should get it. Oh, there.
0: I I don't even need the tweet. I'm just gonna do <laughs> just it. Just gonna like, do it. All right, this is. Like imagine um, – you know how some people are with religion where they're like, no, this is the way. Right. <laughs> it's like, yeah. oh, you, you know, you don't have faith like I have faith. This is the way. That's how I feel about my morning routine where I'm like, this is uh, indispensable for me. And if you if you don't have something like this, you're just missing a piece of it. So I don't really right. need the – like sometimes I'll be like, I don't know if this is a good idea. Tweet at me and I'll that will give me a signal if you want this. I'm just going to give it out. I'm going to put it out there. So if you just search – I don't know what we'll call it. We'll call it nine minute morning routine. Right. If you search the number nine minute morning routine, after this, I'm going to record it and we're going to put it up there and uh, subscribe to it and try it out. Try it out for one morning. Let me know how it goes
1: for you. All right. So yeah, that's it from me. Anything, any last one sentence to describe the week, the year, the decade going forward? <laughs> any, yes. what would you leave them off with?
0: My one line would be, be a realist about the problem and an optimist about the solution.
1: I like that. All right, sweet. Uh, I guess we'll see you guys in the next episode.
0: Yeah, see you Tuesday.